time for Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976. Here's Gene. I have a letter here addressed to... uh... Dear Gene Shepard, it says, uh, Dear Mr. Shepard, the best program that you ever had on the air was the one today with Irving Caesar. He is tops, and I love to hear him talk. Would you please play some Ted Lewis records? Signed, satisfied, very, very pleased listener. Don't forget, Irving Caesar. Now, that's a mysterious letter. I just got that in the mail. Of course, I I, uh, I am fully convinced uh, that most of the uh, viewers and listeners have no idea who the hell they're listening or or uh, watching. In fact, I have long suspected. Hello, test. Uh, I have long suspected that the average person who is watching Johnny Carson believes that he's watching Harry Reasoner. Oh, you think this is funny? Let me tell you, I'll bet many a time Harry Reasoner gets letters saying, Dear Mr. Reasoner, that was a funny thing that Jaja Gabor said on your program the other night. And, of course, Carson gets the mysterious thing said, That was a rotten thing you said about the oil depletion allowance the other night, uh, Carson, you think. And, <laughs> you know, so you, you, you just know that uh, most people are vaguely in the clouds. Oh, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean that. The word is not vaguely. <laughs> Most people are totally in the clouds. Forget it. Cloud cuckoo land. Uh, I have a mysterious tape which arrived in the mail. I do not usually play mysterious tapes because they have a tendency to explode. You know, there is a type of tape that explodes. You remember that TV show? What was the TV show? The guy with the, with the white hair, Peter Graves? Right, Mission Impossible, which always reminds me of trying to entertain people. This is impossible these days. <laughs> and uh, nevertheless, Peter Grace had this tape that blew up. Remember, it would come on, and uh, he'd, he'd find the tape hidden uh, next to a parking meter uh, outside of a shopping center in Detroit. Mysterious thing. He takes out the, the tape, and the tape is enclosed in this uh, box, and he opens it up, and he puts it on the machine. It says... Uh, their mission impossible. Your mission is to get after the dictator Oskowski Wowo. And here is his picture. And of course he's got the pictures and he says, you know, uh, this tape will self destruct and boom, it goes up. Well since that time I've been a little careful about tapes. I mean you put one of these things on, you'll have to burn the studio down. So I'm you never know what you're gonna get in the mail. And uh, this one just came in and says uh, play this tape. So I haven't played it. Would you please play that tape? I don't know what it's gonna be. Fantastic. That's better than an exploding tape. For heaven's sakes. And, and you know what the what the label says on it? It says, I pan a number two toothpaste commercial. Boy, that's a mysterious. That's a great commercial. You know, it's the sound of a guy at the dentist <laughs> that didn't use I pan a number two, you know? That'd be a great commercial, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, all these, uh, these, these toothpaste guys, uh, I think, use the wrong philosophy in selling toothpaste. They always have these kindly druggists that keep talking to these uh, urchins about uh, fluoride, you know. And uh, something they called uh, 
uh, checkups. They keep referring to checkups. And uh, the kid comes in, he says, got great checkups, you know, because he bought uh, this toothpaste, Crest. And uh, who was the guy he bought it from? What's the name, Mr.? It's not Mr. Whipple. Mr. Whipple keeps squeezing the charmin. This guy keeps squeezing the tube. Who is it? He's that nice druggist, see? But wouldn't it be great? I have an idea for a fantastic commercial, see? It opens up, see, and you see this guy. And uh, here he is, see? He's in the john. And, uh, you know, it's morning, and he's finished shaving, and he, uh, he looks down, you know, and you see his toothbrush hanging there. And uh, he looks at his clock, his watch. He's five minutes late. He's not a hell with it. I won't brush my teeth today. And you see him run out. And the next scene, it says, later, two years later. And you, quick shot, you see this light coming down, and you see this drill approaching guy. And then you hear, let's hear it. And the voice says, there is no later in a root canal job. Let's hear it once more. Get it all the way from the top. Come on, man. You just came in. That's it. That's it. Miss Smithers, come in here. <laughs> you ever go to the dentist and there's some guy in there just before you and they have to call in the police and everything to hold them down? You know, <laughs> shoot him with tranquilizers and hit him on the head with a rubber mallet. <laughs> and in spite of that, in spite of the fact that he's unconscious, filled with Novocaine, no matter what, they still get the drill near him and you hear. <laughs> oh, that's wild. <laughs> You better use Crest, buddy. Huh? Huh? Right? Okay, kid. Let's try that once again for that uh, scoffing kid who lives in uh, Montclair, New Jersey, who does not believe this. Kid, if you do not brush your teeth every night and up and down, kid, and don't forget, you got to use the right toothpaste. What's his name, old Mr. Who, at the drugstore? No, Mr. Witherspoon is close, but not close enough for a cigar. So... What does he say? He says, brush your teeth with Crest or this will happen to you, kid. Oh, there, I've got it out. And, of course, you have a shot of the blood squirting all over the wall, you know. <laughs> Talk about effective commercials. Wow. Fantastic. Well, all right, all right. That's only the start of life tonight. Uh, we, we just touched the surface, buddy. For example, how many of you, part of my... my uh, well, my uh, duty as, a, as an artist is to continue to watch the straws that go by and wind, right? And to uh, interpret them for the world at large, especially for those who come later. And tonight, I would like to salute, uh, how can I put it this way? True opulence. True, tremendous opulence. <laughs> take a great pleasure here as part of our vast public service programming here on this deeply concerned station. We take a great pleasure in saluting true opulent decadence of our time. I mean the real thing. Friends, if you think Jackie Kennedy spending $290,000 a year on wedgies was something, wait till you hear this. do it in the Middle East. Legendary in the Middle East, the great shahs of Persia have had vast collections of enormous jewels that go back through the ages, and opulence has always been part and parcel of the world of Omar Khayyam. Do you agree? Ladies, 
These guys make Hugh Hefner look a little bit like Scrooge. Hey, to the last of the big spenders. And so tonight, we would like to salute the Shah of Iran, who has just had his own 747 jumbo Boeing jet outfitted as a flying palace. It's the only 747 in all of history to have a genuine throne room. There's a throne room there. And it has a, a jewel room. I mean, you know, you don't want to travel unless you have your sacred jade and all that with you, right? It has a, a special room that comes with gossamer hangings for uh, <laughs> companions. This is a shot. Can't you just hear the pilot, you know? When they're coming into Damascus, that's a romantic place. I've been to Damascus, you know. They're coming into Damascus, and the pilot says, Oh, touch it, please. Oh, touch it, please. Would you please fashion your seatbelt on the throne? The only throne in history that comes with a seatbelt. to land. Would you please return to the throne? Oh, thank you, Your Majesty. Oh, wow. Oh, can't you see this fantastic jewel-encrusted 747 floating through the skies of Omar Khayyam's inverted bowl of night? with the rosy fingers of dawn. Touch the firmament. A jug of wine and thou. That's lovely, isn't it? Ah, yeah. George, they know how to do it. You know, that's the trouble with us. We're such a new civilization. We just don't know how to do that kind of stuff. I mean, we think we're really living it up high by getting a double bed, king-sized, in a Miami Beach motel. Going all out. <laughs> you know, what the hell? You only live once, right, Marsha? Well, they know how to do it over there. All right, George, I love that. Can't you see the dancing girls coming down the aisle in the 747? Can you have a little bit of that again there, please? You see, they wouldn't have movies on a plane like that. Oh, no, movies. That's that's for the traveler class going to Utah. Oh, no. The Shah has finished his elegant repast. Roast lamb. Roasted over a spit. Yeah, I can see his... Of course, he's going to travel with three, four chefs to have a little baklava. Comic bird tongues. And then the Shah says... Just snaps his finger. He doesn't say anything. Snaps his finger. And down the aisle, you see coming... Purple lights, green lights, orange and gray lights play upon the ancient dance of the thousand golden threads. You don't know about that dance, do you? That's one of the dances that Salome did so well. You just don't get this kind of show at the Fountain Blue. Back 
Genghis Khan. All right, hold it there. <laughs> Gee, that was great, wasn't it? Wow, heady stuff. Don't you remember her? She made this movie called Ecstasy. Okay, we're back. We're back. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say to that lady who thinks that I interview Irving Caesar at night. <laughs> I wonder who the hell she was listening to. <laughs> no, you're so quick to say that. Don't don't be so sure. She probably was listening to an out-of-town station coming from Schenectady. Most people think all stations, all channels are all one. All one. I get many letters that say, please tell your friend... This one here, for example, says, uh, please tell your friend Roger Grimsby that I'm getting tired of that red and white spotted tie. My friend Roger Grimsby. Well, see, they think we're in studio land. You know, studio land is all, all the people in studio land. You know, <laughs> They all know each other, of course. And, uh, hi, Pope. There he goes. There he goes. I know him. There he goes. Yeah, well, it's studio land. We're all here. It's showbiz. We're all here together. <laughs> You're out there, aren't you, buddy? Oh, that's right. Out there in limbo. Limbo. Do you know the legend of limbo? You know, well, I should probably bring Dante into the, Dante into this discussion here. Don't ask me why they call it the limbo. But uh, limbo is a land between heaven and hell. It's another word for purgatory. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> of course you did. You've been there for years. Buddy, what do you think that joint is you work at, huh? Mm. Oh, it's time now to get back to work. All right, here we go. Okay. Uh, it never would have occurred to me. No, no it does occur to me. Uh, as you probably know, life is full of... See, I, I, as a writer and a performer, I can tell you this. It's an absolute, sad, unassailable fact. That, uh, <laughs> how can I say it? That some things that happen, many things that happen, far transcend anything that you can write about. In other words, uh, the actual events of life cannot be anticipated by the most fervid, humid, tumescent, boiling, uh, uh, pot boiling uh, imagination. In other words, it goes far beyond. No, wait a minute now. Uh, seriously, how could you? How could you have guessed if you were a writer, say, and you're you're you know you're pecking away at your little old typewriter, then you think you're a great uh, fantasy fiction writer? How could you have guessed that a president was going to be forced to be resi to resign because of a couple of dildocks forgot to turn the battery on their transceiver? <laughs> You you would have anticipated that, of course. Uh, I mean, no. The thing is, this uh, great events far transcend the most imaginative things you can come up with. And you know why? Because the imagination operates on logic. Events do not. <laughs> you know that's right. You know, all writing and all painting is an attempt to bring order into chaos. And once you do that, you have already destroyed reality. Because reality is chaos. Now, I'll give you an example of that. You just can't imagine a scene like this. Now, in fact, the, the, the most uh, spectacular things happen in the least expected places. Now, would you imagine such a scene in New Jersey? Jersey, by the way, is a very surrealistic state. Oh, yes. No, no. There are very few states have this surreal quality. Now, I say really surreal. Now, that's not a bad word. That's not a put-down. 
surrealism is a very real word. <laughs> it's a surreal. Look it up. It's a great word. And it's what Salvador Dali does when he paints. That's surreal. Surrealism. It's a, it's a stretching and bending of reality. So, uh, for example, Jersey's had probably more mayors in the slam than any other state in the world. I mean, some mayors go directly from their victory celebration to Trenton. And the big door slams behind them. <laughs> right. That's true, you know. In fact, some guys have had their victory celebration right there in the slam as they're about to put on their first set of striped suits. So uh, this is part of Jersey, and it makes Jersey a very exciting state. I think it's one of the things about Jersey you just can't uh, help but love. For example, driving along Route 22 far exceeds anything that Salvador Dali could have imagined. For example, a great big tin boat sails forever down Route 22, the flagship. And on the top of it is a tin sailor. And he's eternally signaling Manhattan. Yes, he's sailing right towards Manhattan. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know anything about wigwag signals, he's up there with a tin thing. Have you ever seen it? He's got these tin flags. How many of you could tell me what that signal is that he's signaling? I can. I can. I'm not going to tell you. Why should I tip everything off? I can, because anybody who's ever taken wigwag, that's called semaphore code, or wigwag in the Boy Scouts. And the left arm means one thing, and the right arm means another thing, and the angle at which they're held means everything. Right? So, he is forever sailing towards Manhattan, this tin sailor, high up atop the bridge of that... No, he's actually up... He's atop the forecastle, really. He's not on the bridge of that ship. And he is signaling forever Manhattan, because he appears to be sailing approximately towards the lower 40s, <laughs> I would say. Hell-bent for election there. And the ship is looking a little bit these days like it's taking water. It looks a little derelict. It looks a little bit like the ship that was sailed by the Flying Dutchman. You remember him? Of course, the, the legend of the uh, the legend of the uh, New Jersey flagship is very similar to the Flying Dutchman. Flying Dutchman, of course, the legend of this Dutchman, and he's on the ship, and he has to sail forever, ever and ever and ever, and he's seen at rare moments through the fog and the mist, the Flying Dutchman legend, and there was an opera written by it was written by whom? Der. Figured the what? Yes, but who wrote it? No, that was not written by Cole Porter. He did not write The Legend of the Flying Dutchman. He wrote Aida. But uh, nevertheless, this thing is forever sailing. See, they go down there. Uh, dumb people. They go down there and they look, you know, and they see him from the shore. He's sailing out there in the darkness. The Flying Dutchman. And he's always searching. What is he searching for? The love of three oranges? Is that what he's searching for? Or was that Prokofiev that was searching for the love of three oranges? Well, if you don't know that one, it goes... Dum, bum, 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 da, da. How many of you can whistle the, the uh, overture to the Flying Dutchman? I not only can whistle it, I can play the sousaphone part. It's a backbuster. Oh, listen, they separate the... The men from the chimpanzees, when you start playing the bass part, the sousaphone part of the overture to the Flying Dutchman, oh, that's a lip splitter. Terrible, but it's great. Now, uh, as the Dutchman sails forever, he, you say he is searching for uh, the perfect tasty cake? 
Is he searching for a Twinkie? Is he searching for a McDonald's that's open all night and maybe he can get a Big Mac tonight? Or is Big Mac an invention of Governor Hugh Carey? And he has his sesame seed rolls and all that, which he's feeding the New Yorkers. And a special sauce. That's it right there. <laughs> special sauce. That's what almost every voter buys when he votes. The special sauce gets him. Maybe the pickle. All right, that's enough of that. This, uh, your culture tends to pall at this hour, doesn't it? Yes, laugh, laughter, song, wine, richer experiences. <laughs> that's the center. Can you imagine the, the Reader's Digest Center fold out? Who would be on it? Reader's Digest Center fold out, huh? Oh, uh, how about... Uh, how about, uh, hmm, how about, uh, who would they like? Let's see. Uh, they would probably like, uh, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? Anita Bryant's far too young and hip for the centerfold out of the Reader's Digest. No, she would appear more in um, How to Age Gracefully. You know that thing, you know. Uh, no, no, I'd, I'd say, <laughs> I'd have to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, possibly the center fallout would be would have somebody, you know, really exciting, like uh, Dolly Parton. You don't know who she is. Well, that's too bad. You don't know anything. Well, as we move as we move into the twenty uh, first century, friends, and I don't know about you, but I fully intend to move into the twenty first century with all flags flying. I have to salute New Jersey as the. Mother home of great surreal experience. I'll tell you, any any state, you know, you drive along, you go past that that uh, flagship, and you go by uh, the Dairy Queen. And uh, I went by the Dairy Queen one day, and uh, they were having this, uh, they were having this celebration. You know, they were celebrating George Washington's birthday there, and they were they were they were making uh, ice cream axes. You know, chopping down a cherry tree. And I saw this guy run out of the Dairy Queen carrying an ice cream axe by the handle. He got maybe within 10 feet of his car. You know what happens to ice cream axes on a good hot day in Jersey. Of course, the head broke off. He stood there. He says, my God, that's a surreal sight. Guy with an axe made out of ice cream. And by the way, they gave away a free T-shirt that said the Rolling Stones live along with these axes. Don't ask me what it had to do with. <laughs> Don't ask me. And by the way, this T-shirt was given up six weeks after the Rolling Stones had broken up. I guess they got a quick buy on a lot of Rolling Stones lived, you know. Don't want, no, we don't want to throw anything away in this life. No way. But uh, on the other hand, I would like to listen to the scene. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen that, 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 uh, that thing on TV called uh, Family? Oh, you know, that's that's nighttime soap opera, really. It's, uh, it is, you know. Of course, anybody, people who don't think they like soap operas like family. It is soap opera, I mean, total soap opera. I mean, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a typical American family. For one thing, they've got a guest house. Have you ever known anybody that had a guest house attached to their house? Okay, typical American family. And, of course, he's got a sister named Buddy. That's a typical American family. And his brother is named Shirley. So, of course, typical American family. They have problems in that department, too, you know. She has short hair. He has long hair. Shirley takes up tatting. Big episode there. And James Broderick argues him out of it. While Buddy wants to become a pole walter. So, uh, 
<laughs> I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of problems. Uh, that's real family. But can you imagine this sequence on, on family? Okay. We'd like to salute a little home in Howell Township. Would you give me number three, please? Just keep it, just keep it running. The family was sitting around watching TV in Howell Township. I don't know where Howell Township is, but that's in Jersey. It's over somewhere near Asbury Park. And they're sitting there, mother, father, a couple of kids, you know. When all of a sudden, the door slams open of their house. And they're just living there, you know, on Locust Avenue. What more typical name for an American street than Locust Avenue? That's even more American than Main Street. They're sitting there, and they're watching Cannon. There's an American thing. When suddenly the door opens and... Just like that, the door slams open and in comes a giant chimpanzee. Well, I don't know whether you know anything about... It. Actually, it was <laughs> it was a baboon. Now, a baboon is 20 times tougher than a chimpanzee. You know, they've got these big purple mouths, angry-looking eyes. This baboon, I, that's a scary-looking animal. Do you know what a baboon looks like? Well, if you don't, think carefully. You've probably worked for several. Anyway, this door slams open. The baboon flies in and runs through the house. Breaking lamps, ripping curtains, knocked over the television set, smashed the flower pots, and then ate coconut-covered marshmallows. <laughs> that's a nice touch. Now, that's a totally surreal touch, sitting there, this wild baboon eating coconut-covered marshmallows. I don't even know where you get those, for starters, but the baboon got it. He was When they finally caught him, he was in the bedroom eating lipstick and drinking perfume. <laughs> yes, it is true. Screaming and yelling. It's, it turns out that these people had just come home from uh, shopping, you know, with the kids, uh, Rosemary and Bernard, and they, they were sitting there watching television when all of a sudden this, this, this uh, two-foot-high brown baboon roared out of the bushes into the house. And uh, here's what the husband said. I love this Jersey understatement. Well, I don't know. We lived here nine months. Nothing like this ever happened. Yes, I'd... By that, probably nothing like that ever happened. Probably nothing like that will ever happen again. A baboon. Nobody knew who it was. It was not a neighbor's baboon. To this day, they don't know who the baboon belonged to. More than that, the baboon, he says, and, and I quote this Jersey type, he says, well, he said, this red-faced baboon just charged straight for the coconut-covered marshmallows on the coffee table. He must have been really hungry because he really shoveled them in. My wife screamed, ran down in the basement. The kids locked themselves in the bathroom. And it's this uh, baboon ate all the chocolate-covered and all the coconut-covered marshmallows. And then after that, he ran through the house. Uh, we got this ranch house, you know. He ran upstairs. He knocked over the television set. He ate the curtains. He uh, pushed over the flower pots. He ran from room to room, and he kept yelling. And not only did he yell, every time I said, stop that, he turned to me, and he gave me a bad look, and he put his teeth back, and he went, ah! And so he says, I just hid under the daybed while he did all his stuff. But then he ran down to the bedroom, and he sat around there, and he was eating all the, all the lipstick he could find. He loves lipstick. So then he ate lipstick, and then he drank all the Gero Vienne perfume. We bought because we heard it on a Benny Farber show. The Gero Vienne perfume, he drank it off. He sat there hiccuping, and I don't know what's going to... I don't know what's going to go on now. The place is a wreck. 
$100,000 worth of damages, and all states says they don't cover that. They don't have no coverage for any baboons coming to the house. They got coverage for floods. They got coverage for, for lightnings, but no baboons. What am I going to do? This Jersey's a dumb, rotten place. So tonight, friends, we have to salute another victim of surrealism, another victim of our time. I mean, you know, it's like waking up out of a terrible drunk and you see the flagship coming towards you and you start screaming for a rowboat or maybe would they please throw you a life jacket and you know you can't explain Jersey nobody knows where the baboon came from did they catch him so they caught him so what he's not talking no one knows where he came from he just came there, and I'll tell you, a baboon is a mean. They ain't cutie poo. It's just not the kind of thing you're going to see on Wild Wild Kingdom. In fact, Marlon Perkins is not going to dandle one of those babies on his knee. Because within five minutes, the baboon is dandling Marvin, Marvin, Mr. Perkins, is that his name? Marvin, Marlon, Perkins, nice fellow there. But he doesn't pet baboons. They are buggers. Uh... You've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.